continuing our sermon series on the greatest, and the greatest who we are talking about is not Muhammad Ali, but it is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we've been throwing in a little bit of this four-square denominational theology as we've been going along. And, and speaking of the four-square denomination, me and some staff members had the opportunity this last week to travel to Anaheim, California, and uh, we went to the Foursquare Convention. It was really fun. We heard some great speakers like Bob Goff and some of these other people. It was really good. And what I love most about it is we had a really good time fellowshipping while we were at the conference. I got to know some of the parents of some of the students that I minister to and got to spend some more time with family members of some of the, the pastors who work on staff, which you know I don't always see. So it's just a really good time. Our last day um, Thursday, we had an opportunity to drive around a little bit, and then, and then we got to go to Disneyland. Has anyone ever been to Disneyland before? Yeah. I, I, I've, only, I've been to Disney World twice. We have a picture of us, actually, on one of the roller coaster rides. Let's throw that up. Boom. All right. So that's Paco's little brothers right here, Jake and Josh. Look at those faces. <laughs> that's Pastor Rob, his wife, uh, Deb, and Cindy. And then I'm in the back fixing my mustache. Come on, look at their faces. It was pretty fun. You know, they say it's the happiest place in the world. I, I, maybe. I was, the lines were long. And if I wasn't there with a whole bunch of people I liked, I, it wouldn't have been the happiest place in the world. But, man, I wish my little boy was with me. I, hope, I wish my little boy was like six with me. He's only like eight months old. But that, that's when you want to go. But. We had an opportunity also to drive um, around and see like Griffin Park, I believe it's called, the observatory, and got to look out over the Hollywood sign, which I've never done before. We got to go to Angelus Temple, and uh, we had to go to the Dream Center. We just kind of drove by the Dream Center, and some really significant things with Foursquare Denomination, really cool history there. Well, driving, though, this is important. I saw one of the most famous billboard signs of all time. Now, y'all don't get billboard signs. We, don't, we all don't have billboard signs here. Excuse me, I got in at like 10.30 last night. I'm going to be slurring my words all morning. Super tired. Uh, we all don't have billboard signs here, but in the mainland, they're everywhere. Like everywhere you go. Like you'll be driving through Iowa in the middle of Iowa, and there's a giant billboard sign. <laughs> there's nothing out here. But there's a big sign, and there, these signs are everywhere. Let's throw that picture of the billboard sign up. Oh, there it is. A little pixelated, but the Mega Million and the Powerball Lottery. Now, we don't have the lottery here in Hawaii as well, but I'm telling you what. These things are super popular, and they're telling you what the lottery is up to. Now, it's up to, on this picture, $360 million if you hit that Powerball. That's crazy amount of money. And whenever I see these signs, I honestly think this in my head. Oh, man, if I only won. I'm always like, I should just go buy myself a ticket because my life would radically change if I won for the better. Everything would be good immediately, obviously. I'm, if I won $360 million, I might be able to afford a house in Kailua. Um, that's might. That's crazy. It's funny because it's true. All right. Man, but my life would be so much better. So much joy would come into my life if I just won 300. I mean, if you all like dreamt this in your head as you're like, oh, if I could only win the lottery. I mean, I think we've all said that once or twice at least. When I was like 15, I probably said it 100 times. I'd just drop out of school, go buy a house in Hawaii, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it is seriously a huge thing. Now, you know how they get to $360 million? 
they sold over 360 million tickets. That's like the whole population of the United States. So everyone in the whole United States bought a ticket because they all have this same dream that they think that this money, when they get it, is going to transform them into being something better and give them so much joy. Y'all following me? Let me tell you some stories about some educated, smart, rich people that won the lottery, okay? I'll start with the first guy. <clears throat> His name's Andrew Jack Whittaker Jr. Has anyone heard of Andrew before? He was big around 2005-ish, around 2020. Okay, good. This is going to be a good story. I'm going to read you out of Life Magazine, if that's okay with y'all. I'm going to read you. So Whittaker may have been the wealthiest man ever to win a major lottery jackpot when the 55-year-old West Virginia Construction Company president won 315 million Powerball jackpot in December 2002. At that time, the largest jackpot ever won by a single ticket. 315 million. He was already worth some 17 million dollars. I don't know about y'all, but that's a pretty big bank account statement, right? 17 million dollars. He was worth some money. And you don't get to have $17 million in a president of a construction company by being stupid. I mean, I can make some assumptions here, but the man was probably pretty intelligent. We know as we, as after what he did with his money, he had big plans for charities. 10% went to the church. Homeboy was a churchgoer, right? He gave 10% of $315 million. Now, he cut it in half right away because he took the lump sum. So he had around $150 million. So he took $150 million. He gave 10% to the church and charities. Good for him. If any of you win the lottery, promise to give 10% to the church. He bought a truck and a house for the woman who sold him the ticket. It was about $150,000, which is good on him, right? That's kind of fun. You know, hey, you sold me the ticket. You want to buy a house, $150,000. Um, then this is what happened. But even Whittaker couldn't escape his own demons. Beset by legal difficulties and personal problems, he began drinking heavily and frequenting strip clubs. Check, this gets crazy. On August 5th, 2003, thieves stole $545,000 from his car in West Virginia strip club parking lot while he was inside. Say what? Homeboy had $545,000 in his car. What does that even look like? I mean, seriously, do you have like duffel bags? How do you hide that? Do you put a sheet over it? It ain't fitting in no trunk. I mean, he had to have a Suburban or something, a 12-passenger. 554K cash stolen from him. Not so bright. You'd think he'd learn his lesson, right? Oh, he didn't. In January 2007, Whittaker reported to the police that thieves had completely emptied his bank accounts. I don't even know how that even happens. How do you lose $150 million? How do you do that? You can't, wait, that's not traceable? Like, oh, I just, sorry, sorry, Mr. Whittaker, 150 million came up short on your bank account this week. What? <laughs> like, I'd be like, I want my money back. On January 25th, 2004, so before he claimed that he had no money, check this out. The second time, robbers once again broke into his car, stealing an estimated 200K, which later was returned because they caught the guys on camera from a, a strip club parking lot. Okay. Now we got a churchgoer who's smart really wealthy. He knew how to handle money to get 17 million. You can't just be throwing money away. And when he won this big jackpot, what happened? It didn't bring better life for him. It didn't bring joy into his life. He actually is quoted at the end of his life saying, I wish, let me quote him, 
I wish I would have torn up the ticket. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ah, I would handle my money better. And maybe, not everyone's story is ridiculous like this, but there's actually lists of all these people, like the top 20 biggest blow list of lottery winners. And one of them on that list is this other guy. Now, you know, I'm too, I'm too Christian to do that with my money. That guy probably wasn't a church goer. He probably just felt like giving money. Well, let me talk to you about a, a real church goer. His name's Billy Bob. I love that right away. Billy Bob Harold Jr., all right? He's a Pentecostal pastor, right? So this guy's a pastor. Billy Bob was working as a stock boy at Home Depot halftime, and he was working in the pastorate the other half of the time. And when he hit the $31 million jackpot in 1997, that's a pretty good chunk of change. 31K, you take that straight up, you get about 15 mil. That's not a bad deal. That's not a bad day at work, okay? Uh, at first, life was good. Billy Bob, uh, Billy, it's hard saying that. Billy Bob buying a ranch, he bought a ranch, six other homes, and some new cars, and started giving most of his money away. However, it caused a huge feud within his family. He got divorced, and then right after his divorce, he committed suicide. You see, the thing is, that, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, is because we honestly, we are, are nonstop advertisement to us that what will make us better, happy, and bring joy into our lives is power, money, and fame. When we know that's not the truth. Those things are good. I'm not saying being a respected doctor in your, at the hospital or, or being the, the, the uh, uh, very wealthy isn't good things. I'm just saying they don't always bring joy and happy, and they definitely don't always make your life better. Y'all follow me? But today I want to talk to you about something that I know will guarantee your life to be better and bring more joy into it. I'm not saying it's going to be easier. In fact, I'm going to tell you your life is going to be more difficult when you do this, but I'm telling you your life will be better and more joy will come into your life. Y'all follow me? And what we're talking about today is baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is different than baptism when you go to the beach and you get dunked in water. And I'm going to flush all this out and I think what we have to do with baptism in the Holy Spirit, because it's such a big subject, we have to ask the, the what's, the why's, the where's, the when's, the who's, and all that. And I think in the Gospel of John, we have a great answer to answer what the what and the where is. So let's open up to Gospel of John to start out with. Y'all follow me today? <clears throat> Let me just set the context for us real quick. In the Gospel of John, he starts out talking specifically about Jesus and, and Jesus being the Son of God. And then he introduces this guy named John the Baptist. Okay? John was called John the Baptist because he was baptizing a whole bunch of people, but more so, he baptized Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. And right before we get that, I'm going to take one sip. Okay, here we go. John 1, 29. I think the scripture is going to jump up on the screen. Yep, there we go. Oh, there's a lot in this, so let's just stay, let's stay focused. Might be a little boring, but here we go. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. Now, this John is John the Baptist. This isn't John the author. There's a difference. There's John, his disciple, and then there's John the Baptist, which is his cousin, okay? Here we go. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is really interesting how he uses some terms here. The first thing he uses is this idea of the lamb. Now, the lamb in Leviticus was considered to be the perfect sacrifice. So he's already attributing to Jesus as this perfect sacrifice, which is different than the dove, which is also in Leviticus, which we're going to talk about in a second as well. He says the lamb of God, so this perfect sacrifice from or of God, takes away sin of the world. I love how John starts out with one of the most important things right before he gets into what baptism is. He talks about this idea of salvation. You see, salvation is found within Jesus alone, not within baptism of water or baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you all hear that? John starts out talking about baptism by saying Jesus is the only way for salvation. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, is how our sins are cleansed. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Which is interesting because they were born around the same time. He's actually throwing an internal aspect to Jesus. And John, the writer here, is doing that as well. He does that a lot in the first chapter. You can read that more. I did not recognize him as the Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word for anointed one. So he's just giving a ton of credit right now to Jesus in his, in his dialogue about Jesus. I did not recognize the anointed one, the Messiah. But I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So he's baptizing with water. And I think this is a good time for us just to take a small theological break and talk about the difference between baptism of water and then baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know most of you might know this, but this is just recap, baptism 101. So let's talk about it. First, baptism of water and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Both of them have this word that it's in it. It's called baptism. So baptism actually just means uh, when you are submerged or immersed or engulfed or poured over of something. And when we say water baptism, what does that mean? Water is then being submerged or poured over you. Now in the Christian world or sphere, we call this one of the sacraments. So we're talking about water baptism. It's a sacrament. It's a holy thing that we do. And when we do it, we are ad we're admitting that we are a part of the Christian church and we're adopting the family onto ourselves. So what we do is we go to the beach or we go up on stage, however you want to do it. We don't think you have to be fully submerged. Like if your toe is out, you don't fully get baptized, all that kind of stuff. If you go up in front of a whole bunch of people and there's water that's poured over you, we believe that you are baptized with water. Now, um, that's baptism of water. Everyone follow me. Okay, now there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a lot different. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when we ask Jesus, and I'm going to talk about this in just one second. It's very important. When we ask Jesus to fill us, the person of Jesus, to fill us with the person of the Holy Spirit. Two separate beings, fully God, both of them, separate persons, as the Father is the third separate person, but separate from Jesus, we ask for this Holy Spirit to be poured over us, to fill us, to engulf us. And when that happens, 
gifts are bestowed upon us, and we, as an individual who has just been bestowed upon by the Holy Spirit, start to grow in our faith and in our life, and life becomes better and more joy comes from it, and I'll get into that in a second. So there's two types of baptism. There's the one that we go to the beach and we baptize you. We signify what Christ did on a cross. It's just a significant thing. It's a sacrament saying, I'm a Christian and I want the world to know. And then there's the holy baptism. And the holy baptism is between you and Jesus. And it's you saying, God, I want you to be in my life. I want Jesus to give me the spirit, your spirit. I want you to fill me with it. And with that, I want to be empowered by it. Y'all follow me. Those are the two forms of baptism that are found within the New Testament gospels and the gospels. They're different. Dr. John Piper has a great analogy of the two. One is, one is actually just a, just a sign from man. The other one is, is something from God. And, and I love how he puts it. He says, he says, the difference between the two is like a lightning bug and lightning, a painting and a person, a ring and marriage, immersion in fluid and immersion in God. This is honestly one of the reasons why Jesus is the greatest. When we go to him and ask for the Holy Spirit to empower us, we are empowered. Our lives are changed for the better. I have yet to met a person who says, I'm giving my life to Christ. I want the Holy Spirit to come into me. And their life gets worse. I've yet to meet one. Now, has it become more difficult? Yes, because that's guaranteed to us. But is it better? Yes. Is there more joy? Yes. I've sat with people who are dying, but yet find joy that they know they're going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. It's amazing the radical shift of the mental thought when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you. It's unbelievable. That's the difference between the two. Let's keep reading. Then John testified. This is where it gets good. I saw the Holy Spirit descending descending like a dove with from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testified that he is the chosen one of God. So he's declaring he's the chosen one, the Messiah, the one to come, the one that's gonna save the world. He, that's huge, there's a ton of theology there. But check this out. This is so good, and this sometimes gets missed. This is huge. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one, Jesus, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That means baptism of the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus alone. That's it. That's all. You don't get it from going and spending time in nature. You don't get it from surfing. You don't get it from any any like ritual party, you don't get it from any drug. The only thing that gives you baptism of the Holy Spirit, according to John in the book of John, it's kind of confusing there, is Jesus Christ. If you want healing, you go to Jesus. If you want to be empowered, you go to Jesus. If you want to be a better person, having more joy in your life, who do you go to? Jesus. That's it, that's all. And the main reason why is because at the very beginning, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of your life and then he will fulfill, fulfill you, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit when you ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. That's some good stuff, y'all. Let's try to understand this a little bit better. Get a little bit more understanding. Let's jump to Acts. Now, Acts is the first time that we see the Holy Spirit coming as this gift. Acts is the, 
is the second part of the gospel according to the apostle Luke. Uh, so it's just like the second part of it. I said that twice. That was weird. It is the very beginning of the early church. So it's the story of the early church written by the Apostle Luke. We're going to jump to, uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but you can follow with me. I think some of the scripture will be up on the screen. Jesus has uh, died on the cross. He was uh, buried for three days. He was resurrected. And when he comes back, he's 40 days uh, with his uh, people, just showing that he's alive. He's walking around. During the 40 days, after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. And there's a ton of stuff there. We're going to keep going because we want to focus on the spirit. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he puts a separation between the two. So we know the two are different. Okay? And he's saying, I'm telling you what, in a few days, this gift from God is going to come. You get it from me, and it's going to fill you and empower you. He says this, a little later, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. I have a story uh, about my own life. I uh, uh, was out camping one time. I might have told this story before. I, I, I get all confused with my stories when I tell them. So I was out camping with one of my best friends, and uh, there's about five of us. And one of my friends took a, a can full of gasoline, and he took the gasoline and he threw it on the fire. But we all know that gasoline is what? Flammable, right? So it started flying up, and as it started coming up, he threw the gasoline. And uh, my other friend was taking bug spray, and he was spraying his legs with bugs, uh, bug spray, which is also highly flammable. And uh, the, the, the can landed on my friend's lap, and it like poof, blew up. And uh, we all kind of went backwards, and I sat up, and I saw my friend stand up, taken off running, and he was on fire. So I ran after him. Uh, my one friend tackled him to the ground, as, and I landed on his legs. We put his legs out. Michigan's really sandy everywhere, so we were putting sand on his um, legs. And, and he stood up, boom, legs came back on fire. I was like, whoa. And if you've ever put gas on the ground and like, you stomp it out and wait a second, like poof, comes back. So I put more sand and we just let the sand sit on his legs. Now, good idea. Thank God that there was sand there. Bad idea for infections. Uh, burns, one of the ways that they kill you isn't by uh, your skin being removed, but it just opens you up to infection. So we went back up to the house and... Uh, his, the, 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 not his mom, but another mom was like, oh, he's okay. I was like, ah, I don't think that I can see his shin bone. I don't, I don't think, I think we need to call the doctor here. This is pretty serious. So I called his mom and the next thing you know, he's in the hospital for the whole summer uh, getting skin grafts and all this kind of stuff. So he burnt his third degree from his mid thigh to his ankle, third degree burn, the whole thing. And, um, and you know, it's interesting. I went back not too long ago. You can't even see his scars. So it's unbelievable what uh, technology and science can all that do. But while he was in the hospital, he was scheduled to go to this Christian camp. And um, he couldn't go because he was in the hospital. So his mother, who already paid for it, said, hey, Nick, would you like to go to this Christian camp? Now, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I was like, sure, I'll go, whatever. And I get in the car. We head on out. And uh, we go all down to Purdue University. Now, there's like literally thousands of high school students and junior high students at this camp. And we take over Purdue University. Super fun. 
and we got to hang out with football players and all these other Christian men, and like, I just loved it. Um, and at the end of the camp, I remember the pastor standing up on stage, and he said, if anyone wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. And I said, okay, uh, I think I want to do that. So I was in junior high, so I raised my hand. I said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And then I, I got done, and we prayed the prayer, and I stood up, and I was like, hey, all right, cool. You know, I'm a Christian. And then I walk outside, and then I, I wasn't a Christian, because I walked right outside. I threw some chewing tobacco in my mouth as a seventh grader, and and then we walked over to the thing, we, we talking trash about everyone, and never really went to church again until I was in college. And what's interesting, though, is I believe, honestly, theologically, I was saved at that point. But I didn't have the willpower or the power to know what was right or wrong. I didn't have a father leading me. And I just kind of lived as I, how I thought I should live. I lived how culture told me to live. Seek money, seek power, seek significance. That's how I was living. It wasn't until I was a junior in college that someone came up to me and says, you, you know, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. Like, I never, uh, no, I mean, I'm not really a Christian. And we prayed that prayer. And then he said something else. He says, have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to come into your life? Boom. It was at that moment that I actually started taking my faith seriously. Now, let me just be really clear. I honestly believe when you say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, that is your definition of uh, salvation. You are going to go to heaven if you believe that. But I think it's super difficult to do on your own. I know it's almost impossible to do on your own unless you say, I want the Holy Spirit to be poured over me. I want the Spirit to be in me every single day. This isn't like a one-time thing. I love when it says, uh, you need to uh, carry your cross every day, Jesus says, which is interesting because it's a prophetic vision of what he's going to go through. But every day we need to be accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. And every day we need to be saying, Holy Spirit, fill me because I need your strength today. I need to be empowered because I want a better life. I want a life that's, uh, that glorifies you. I want a joyful life. And it was when I became a junior in college that I started living for Christ, which was a different thing. Y'all follow me? I honestly believe in Acts when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit will empower you. I think that is true. I don't think I know that is true. And I can look at testimony after testimony. You want to see some crazy stuff? You can go to any of the drug rehabilitation centers and just look at the statistics of those who give their life to Christ. It's amazing. And they say, I want the Holy Spirit to come on to me. They break these addictions almost immediately. It's powerful. When we jump over to chapter 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes. On the day of Pentecost, so Pentecost means 50 uh, it's just 50 days after uh, Jesus' resurrection, uh, the Easter day. And that was actually last weekend. So was, I think it was right after last weekend. I think it was like Monday. But um, 50 days, so we're, we're in that vicinity. Uh, Pentecost is being uh, celebrated. It's, a, it's actually a, a, a Hebrew uh, a celebration day as well, Jewish celebration as well. And all the believers were meeting together in one place. So they're all hanging out together in one place. And suddenly, now this is a great story, so follow me. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then they looked, uh, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, okay? As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So it's empowering them to speak in like if I was in the Philippines, I, I could start speaking 
uh, it's not Filipino, sorry, but if I was in Mexico, I could start speaking Spanish. Or if I was in Canada, I could start speaking Canadian. Okay, that was, that was funny. <laughs> Just making sure y'all awake. I'm tired too. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem where they heard the loud noise. Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. There's a whole bunch in this passage with Pentecost, and we could actually talk about it for a while. I want to just focus on, on one thing. The Holy Spirit comes to believers, and he empowers them. The Holy Spirit came to the early church and empowered them. Speaking in other languages, I'm just going to jump up to this because this is kind of controversial. I need to be, speak very clearly on this. The speaking in other languages here, you have to hear me, church, this is super important. Let me just tell a story. I think it will help explain, actually. One of my good girlfriends growing up, she grew up in a Pentecostal church, and they would tell her that if she did not speak in tongues, and it's the Babel form of tongue, not the translation form of tongue, uh, which there is a difference. And I say that with no disrespect uh, when I say Babel form of tongue or angelic form of tongue, or a prayer form of tongue. Uh, they're all the same. Um, this right here is a translation of, of language from one to the other, but they were told, she was told over and over and over again that she didn't have a relationship with Christ because she couldn't speak in tongues. And that's just completely not true. We don't have a form of, of the Babel form of tongues speaking. One reference actually in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's actually debated on if it's even the, the Babel form. Now, do I think it's true? Obviously, yes, I do. I have friends. I personally do not speak in, in the, the prayer tongue language, but I have friends that I trust and believe in, and they say they can do it. And I think it is evidence of the Holy Spirit, but it's not the only evidence. You have to hear this. My friend, she, she turned away from the church when she went to college, and she's never been back since. She's actually pushed the church away because this is what she said to me. Christ didn't want me because I couldn't speak in tongues. Right? Speaking in tongues has nothing to do with being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Nothing. It is an, uh, a gift that God has given us that comes from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. But it's not evidence not the only evidence, I should say. What I know is this. I fully believe that the God of this universe empowers us through Christ by the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to have miraculous gifts, spiritual healing, spiritual tongues, spiritual prophecy, but more so, I think he empowers us to live a life that's going to bring joy and betterness to our personal selves. And I've been asked this question so many times. Well, how can you actually see or how can you actually know if the Spirit is in someone's life? And it's easy. You can sense the fruit of someone's life, the Spirit in someone's life, 
As Paul says, he says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit, that means the things that the Spirit is bringing out of people. And this is how you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is how you know when you wake up in the morning, you do devotional, you say, Jesus, fill me. Spirit, fill me. Everyone, just fill me. I want God to be a part of my life. And then you have a great day. This is how you know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how you know that the Spirit is dwelling within you. That's how I knew when I was a junior in college, I accepted the Spirit of God to come into me, and it radically shifted my life to change for the better. More joy came into my life. I could, people could sense more joy and peace in my life, more love in my life. I was different. And there's a lot of Christians out here, I'm going to be straight with y'all, you don't have no joy in your life. You ain't got no peace in your life. You're mad because I'm wearing like a, 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 not a button-up shirt or an Aloha shirt or, or maybe I got a mustache. You're all upset. I'm telling you what, the greatest miracle that the Holy Spirit will bless you with isn't speaking in tongues. It's the empowerment to love people. It's not prophecy. It's the ability to forgive your spouse or your brother or your sister for something that they've done horribly to you. That's a greater miracle. It's not spirit, it's not physical healing, but it's spiritual healing that's a greater miracle. When I look at a Christian and I see the love, the joy, the peace, the pain, I just, it radiates God to me. You know what I'm talking about. It radiates God to me. And I honestly believe we have to seek this every single day, just as we seek Christ every single day. And I know that when we do this, our lives will become filled with more joy, more peace, and it will become better. Not easier, but better. Y'all following me? How this starts is like this. Every day I wake up in the morning, and, I, and this is what I do. I just, I, I thank Jesus. I say, I, I, I'm being straight with you guys. Every day I say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. And I want to stretch this out to every single person in here today because we're going to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for Jesus to come on in here. We're going to pray that Jesus fulfills or gives us the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. And I, I think it starts like this. We have to go to Jesus first. So I'm going to ask all of you Christians out there that have raised their hand maybe once or twice before or never raised your hand before, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second. Every day we need to be picking up our cross. Every day we need to be going to Jesus for the Holy Spirit. That's what John taught. If you want a better life, if you want a life filled with more joy, if you want a life that's filled with more peace, if you want that better life, it's not going to be easier, but it will be better. I want you to raise your hand in just a second. All of you in here that believe that Jesus is your Lord and God, he is your savior. He died on a cross for you. You are a sinner. You deserve not to go to heaven, but Jesus removes your sins from you. On three, I want you to raise your hand. If you believe that, if you believe that Jesus is fully God, fully human, I want you to raise your hand and confess not only with your mouth, but with your actions of your hands. On three, one, 
two, three. This is the family. Now keep your hands up. If this is your first time you have ever raised your hand, if this is the first time you've ever raised your hand, I want you to keep your hand up. Everyone else, you can put your hand down. Amen. Amen. Amen in the back. Amen. Amen, brother. That right there signifies your salvation in heaven. Now, some of you might not have raised your hand, and that's okay. This is my challenge to you. Keep coming back. Keep challenging this guy, Jesus. Keep studying the greatest. See what we call him the greatest. Don't just accept it from me because I'm standing up on stage with a mic. You study him. Learn from him. Actually challenge this guy named Jesus. All right. Now let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to say a general prayer for all of us. But I want to encourage you guys to seek the Holy Spirit through Jesus every single day. And if you want people to pray for you, we have a prayer team in the back right after this. Go to them. If you want to meet, uh, if you want to uh, pray with people, there's the Connect Center right out those doors. And if it's your first time raising your hand, there's a few of you. Go right out those doors. We're going to give you a Bible. We're going to give you some things that you can take home, some study material, connect you into the family. But here we go. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Empower us. Jesus, please give us the Holy Spirit today. Empower us, God. Give us the gifts that you talk about in the New Testament. Give us these powers of, that are supernatural, God. Lord, but more so, give us just the, the heart of love and joy and peace. God, we seek this. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this room. Let us feel you, you entering into us, God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. You are the God of this universe. Amen. May you continue to seek Jesus. May you continue to ask Jesus on a daily basis for a relationship. May you continue to challenge Jesus. And may you continue to ask Jesus to empower you with the Holy Spirit because I know that when we are empowered with the Holy Spirit our life will be better and all God's people said